When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Good Music Podcast, a show where we discuss artists, songs, and talk about why we love them. New episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and become a patron to gain access to exclusive content. And now, on with the show. episode of the good music podcast i'm lucas I'm and i'm ethan and if you are new welcome to the show if you like what you hear find your subscribe button on wherever you are probably apple podcast hit subscribe at the end of the episode if you like it if you've been around for a long time though and you already subscribed go follow us on instagram and facebook and that's where you can uh check out what's coming down the line for a podcast that we're going to release. You can also send us who you'd like to listen to next. And if you, uh, if you have a favorite artist that we haven't done yet, that's how to get them on the show. Also, if you are as big of a fan of music as we are, um, then you need to subscribe to our, uh, and be a donor on our Patreon channels. That's where you can get uh, after-hours segments. You can get um, everything is a week early for you. You pretty much just get special access to us if you want it. Which, speaking of Patreon, Lucas, you have an announcement. Yes, we got a new patron. (laughs) And we're very excited to have uh, Tina Adams joining uh, our crew. Um, she's actually messaged us on Instagram before and has um, sent us some recommendations. And we're actually going to do one of those recommendations next month. So uh, make sure that you tune in for that. And um, she is going to have access to our after hours segment, which is going to be really fun tonight. Uh, we have we is kind of we kind of official unofficially started it last year of of dedicating our after hours to bad music <laughs> and now that it is a brand new year we're gonna kind of officially canonize that as the um the after hours segment and we're just gonna call it the bad music podcast so uh <laughs> Tina, make sure that uh, you check that out when that's on Patreon. And anyone else that would like to have access to uh, that extra fun stuff, as well as being able to hear episodes early and some other things that um, we're going to continue to shell out in the future. Um, Yeah, it's... 2021. It's interesting to see if this year is going to 
be any different or not. Because 2020 really put us through it. I yeah. I uh, wonder how, I mean, how quickly it's going to rebound. As, yeah. I feel like as long as we don't have a big celebrity death, I think we'll be looking up. But that's a really yeah. low bar. Right. Because, I mean, we started the year off with Neil Peart dying last year. Mm-hmm. And then and that, that, that should have been a signal. That should have been a signal for all of us that this year is going to be bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I I would I'm going to assume that no matter what happens, though, that this is going to be a big year for the good podcast. Yeah. Um, I think that. Well, I mean, I know that sometime at the beginning of this year we're going to finally hit that 100,000 mark yeah. which is an insane number to hit mm-hmm. um, and we've just got a lot of great artists that we're doing um, we've got a couple of ideas that are cooking behind the scenes that we're not quite ready to share with you guys yet but um, some stuff that I think is going to be really cool um, we're going to be continuing our history of music we, we took a little bit of of a break at the end of 2020 so that we could kind of have a, a bit of a special episode. But now at the end of this month, we'll be continuing that, um, that series. And just overall, I think that this is going to be a really fun year and we're, we're mm-hmm. starting things off on a really great note. This is a, yep. uh, an episode that I've been wanting to do for a while now. And I'm really excited uh, to finally do it. I figured, you know, we're, we recently had um, uh, ACDC on our previous episode. And so I thought, you know what, let's kind of keep riding the momentum. Let's just have an entire episode where we can talk about ACDC again. Because mm-hmm. that was actually... Um, I think like our seventh episode we ever did was our first ACDC one. And so this is, this is a um, definitely a long overdue uh, volume two. And Mm. we get to once again, kind of go into this realm that I've really discovered at the end of last year makes for some really fun um, episodes. And that is, uh, talking about a band's live music. Right. So that's what we're doing with our ACDC episode this week. We're going to be um, talking about them as a live band. I think one of the greatest live bands of all time. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to be curious to see what your guys' opinions of that is after um, after listening to and talking about these songs. So the the show that we're pulling from, and really, I can't say that it's a one particular show, although I wish that that whole show was on Spotify. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the show that I really am wanting to pull from is their Live at Donington, um, which is mm-hmm. from 1991. 
And the Donington show was part of their Razor's Edge world tour, which Razor's Edge was like a huge comeback moment for ACDC. They had a really rough late half of the 80s. Why? Um, so, well, they started off the 80s about as good as any band can. Uh, 1980 was Back in Black. That was one of the biggest albums of all time. I want to say it's like number three or four on best-selling albums ever. Wow. It sold like yeah. over 40 million albums with just an mm-hmm. insane number. I mean, just, you know, there's, there is a very large gulf between the top albums and the rest of the albums. Mm-hmm. Barely any albums have ever made it past 20 million. Um, and then to reach into past the 40 million mark, there's only like three or four albums that have ever done that. Uh, Dark Side of the Moon, Thriller being among those that have done that. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, yeah, you could, you really can't think of a better way to start a decade than with an album like Back in Black. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the album that introduced Brian Johnson as their lead singer and, and has been their lead singer ever since, except for that small little stint where Axel had to fill in on that tour. Um, but yeah, it was this, it was a monumental moment. It was when they really broke big and kind of, they became the biggest rock band in the world at that time. Mm. Um, and then after that, they kind of had a tough time following up. I mean, how do you beat the biggest rock album of all time? And I think a big reason why that album was so was because a large portion of that album was written by Bon Scott before he died. And after kind of really going through their music, he was maybe the most important element into uh, a lot of their great songs of the early era. Yes, you have to credit the guitars mm-hmm. the um the riff writing but bon scott i've found is one of the low-key best rock lyricists of all time and as well as he really knew how to write some great vocal melodies he was pretty much in charge of everything vocally words and music and um, I think that once he officially left the band, which, I mean, obviously he left before Back in Black when he died. Yeah. But again, like I said, mm-hmm. they, they were actually fairly far along in the recording process when that happened of Back in Black. I would say probably 80% of that album was already written. Why did he leave? Um, the Why did he yeah. leave? Because he died. Oh. When I say leave, I mean like <laughs> he left this world. <laughs> You're like before he left, you know, <laughs> he just left. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I mean in the most uh, esoteric way possible. Well, dang. He, uh, 
it's it's one of the great tragedies of rock and roll. Um, he died of um, in a overnight binge, choking on his own vomit. So that spinal tab joke, that is a reference to Bon Scott. Which have you guys mm-hmm. seen? Yes. Spinal yeah. Tap. Once. Yes, it's been a while, but he, yes. He choked on vomit. <laughs> no one knows whose vomit it was. <laughs> you know, you can't dust for vomit. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, that that's definitely who they were talking about. And so, um, you know, that, that really was a, a blow to the band, but, you know, they did have a large portion of that album. Now, credit the song that they didn't write before he died was back in black which, you know is the <laughs> is the big song off of that mm-hmm. album because it was written as a tribute to him so um, mm-hmm. you know but you can tell that when brian johnson takes over the lyrics that there's definitely something missing there is a a subtlety and a poetry that's missing. Mm. Like, as as what you could say barbaric and as simple as Bon Scott's are, there was still a certain elegance to the way that he wrote. I've heard it, mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of people describe it as street poetry. That he just, that he had this way of really bringing his stories to life and making you really feel them. Like you're yeah. you're you're hearing from someone mm. that has lived every single thing that he's talking about, and when Brian Johnson mm-hmm. took over, it really kind of more or less just became a uh, double entendre uh, yeah. game, where it's how many how many ways can I talk about sex with different metaphors. Mm-hmm. Which, while, yes, they have their fair share of raunchy songs, and we'll get into some of those in our in our set, um, it was always, there was a cleverness to it. It wasn't as, like, beating you over the head with it. Yeah. And I think also you can tell that Brian Johnson was not as adept at writing vocal melodies. And he's still good. But he was I don't think he was as good as Bon Scott was at it. And um, a lot mm-hmm. of the portion on our range playlist that kind of sits towards the bottom is that mid to late 80s era. And um, when Razor's Edge comes out in 1990, like they were in a pretty rough spot. They'd had a rough decade declining sales you have phil rudd leaving the band and he wouldn't be back for 10 years when he left in 84 wouldn't come back till 95 um and you have all of the controversy that followed acdc when the satanic panic happened and they started trying to Mm -hmm. all the satanic metal bands are and rock bands 
and people started to accuse them of saying that ACDC stands for Antichrist Devil's Children. Um, they one of their songs I can't remember which one, but appeared on the um, the. I can't remember what the abbreviation is, and I'm, I hate myself for. But whenever they were championing censorship in music, the NPRC—that's what it is. The NPRC um, had their famous crusade where you know they were the, they're the ones responsible for the explicit sticker that's on CD covers, on trying <laughs> to um, mm-hmm. create a rating system for music to prevent young impressionable kids from accidentally stumbling across inappropriate music and kind of as their um, example they created what's called the filthy 15 of the the 15 worst youth corrupting songs out there some of them are hilariously mislabeled like one of those filthy Mm -hmm. his twisted sisters we're not going to take it saying that it promotes violence (laughs) which is not true at all (laughs) but there's some other ones that it's understandable why they did that like say wasps animal f like a beast i can understand that okay i can understand that making the filthy 15 <laughs> but then, yeah, there's other ones like we're not going to take it, where it's just like, really, guys? Or um, saying that Def Leppard's High and Dry Saturday Night is promoting drug and alcohol abuse. And that's not true. Did they put Number of the Beast on there? No, they did not. I think they really missed out on that one. Uh, oh, man. But. They definitely, they definitely had the know-all to put merciful fate on there for satanic imagery. Nice. So you know, all right. It's it's, it's a really strange list, but um, ACDC got on there with the song uh, "Let Me Put My Love Into You," which in that <laughs> that means exactly what you think it means, but. The thing that Brian Johnson was laughing about is just like, that's like a deep cut that not many people know about. How about our big radio mm. song, You Shook Me All Night Long? That's maybe the, one yeah. of the filthiest <laughs> pop song ever written. And that's one that everyone knows. Why he picked that one? And he was kind of like making fun of them, just going, guys, you had an easier target that you completely missed instead of picking one of our deep cut mm. album songs. So, um, but because of that, they received a lot of negative attention. Um, You know, some bands benefited from it. The bands that like to be shocking, like uh, Merciful Fade and Venom, they were thrilled to be on there because they're like, nobody even knew we existed before. Yeah. Now everyone (laughs) knows that we're... And the whole point is they that those are bands that like to be scary and like to be shocking. And so for them, that was a badge of honor to get put on that because it's like now people are going to go listen to us because they're like, well, I've never heard of this band. i got to figure out what they're saying. Or the people that just want to be rebels and be edgy for listening to all the edgy music are going to – they're going to automatically uh-huh. get those people. Right. 
Yep. But for ACDC, that is doesn't while they don't turn away from controversy, they're not a band that like actively pursues it. Yeah. They're not a they're not a shock rock band. They're just they've just got that classic uh rock and roll rebellion spirit about them to where, you know, they, yeah. they don't take any crap from anyone and they're gonna do what they wanna do. But at the same time yeah, they're they not do what out they do. To- yeah, they're not they don't have an agenda of we wanna scare people's parents and we wanna, you know, push the envelope. That's not really them. So for them, and because of the fact that of um, those, all the bands that were put on there, they were arguably the biggest band on that list. They definitely got a fair share of the negative press. Um, as well as they had an unfortunate um, incident where um, there was a serial killer in the mid 80s called the Night Stalker. Mm-hmm. And um, he went on this massive killing spree. And at his apartment, they found an ACDC hat. And he had said in his confession that ACDC gets him in the mood to kill. And, um, mm. and people started to really scrutinize a Bon Scott song of theirs called Night Prowler, which actually wasn't about a serial killer. It was just about someone that likes to go on the hunt for ladies at night in a more carnal way, not in a killer way. But, you know, because of the fact that the media never reads deep into what songs are actually about, they're just looking for the quick buzzword. Yeah. They assumed, oh, this is their song where they're trying to influence serial killers. ACDC wants to murder their fans. Mm-hmm. And so just all that stuff just made for a really tough decade for them. While I would say they never got to the point where, like, they had dropped off the face of the map and were down the two. They definitely had not come anywhere near the heights of the beginning of the decade with Back in Black. And I would say were probably less popular than they were at the height of the Bon Scott era as well. Hmm. Do you think it was due to all that negative PR or was the album just like, was their music yeah. just not as good? Yeah, the, the music also just was not near as good. Kind of like I was saying, they 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 lost that that songwriting uh, prowess with the loss of Bon Scott. That's kind of the, the point I was making with that, is that their songwriting was not as strong as it had once been. So, all that, you're probably wondering, like, why did we even start talking about this? The whole reason we're kind of leading to this is... 1990s the razor's edge this is their big comeback album and there's a big change that's made here they actually take brian johnson off of songwriting duties and angus and malcolm decide to write the songs themselves while Mm -hmm. i still don't think that it's as good as bon scott bon scott is still the best songwriter they ever had um it's it takes a great step forward because do you know what the first song off of the Razor's Edge is? 
Thunderstruck. Uh, so I mean, uh, yeah. when you when you start off your comeback album with that song, I mean, you just you can't yeah. go wrong. Yeah. That's right. that's a that's that's immediately puts you in the right in the right position again to kind of retake over the world. So that song was their first big hit that they'd had since probably for those about to rock, which was the immediate follow up to Back in Black. Um so they they have that they they pretty much kind of just immediately put themselves back at the top of the rock world. This is still pre-grunge. And so, you know, mm. you you don't have this kind of this death to classic rock that's happening yet. And even so, ACDC mm-hmm. kind of still fit in well with the new generation of rock. They kind of fit in less with the hair metal scene because they were very Mm -hmm. anti that image. Mm -hmm. They um, didn't get into the spandex, the big hair, the makeup, you know, he was very much or Angus and the rest of the guys were very much just about, you know, we're going to wear our, our, our jeans, our t-shirts. I'm going to wear my schoolboy outfit and that's it. (laughs) So, you know, and as well as while they, I'm sure, were a big inspiration on the hair metal bands, they never sonically fit in with them. And there's times where um, some of their albums, they try and put that sleek 80s production to it, Mm -hmm. and it just doesn't feel right. And I'll let you hear how some of the songs in our um worst songs set uh have that about them mm. or it's just it's like a acdc with a slick 80s production it's just it feels unnatural Is it, are most of the songs in the bottom six of the songs from this period no i would say probably half of them are hmm. the other half are from the bon scott era but it's more because they're like like more demo-ish type songs yeah. and and like throwaway songs songs that really didn't make it on any albums except for one so um so yeah so they go on the monsters of rock tour which is just you know a, a giant uh celebration of all things rock and roll you got all the biggest rock bands in the world getting together so, like, let's – one of the stops on this Monsters of Rock tour was in Moscow. Let me let me tell you who was in this lineup. You have Pantera that is touring on their first Cowboys from Hell record, and, and that is the spot where mm-hmm. they had that legendary Moscow show, which, Grain, I'm sure you're familiar with that performance. Um. Oh, I'm not one. I'm I'm not a live, but that's kind of person. But still, that's kind of like that's always considered like Pantera's like crowning moment live, when they're playing in front of three hundred thousand people in Moscow as a as a opening act. 
that's that's not my side of music well you know is the live stuff. i'm sure it's gonna start becoming that do more of these Maybe. episodes that's true um so pantera was there metallica was there because this is in 91 so this is black album metallica at the height of their popularity and uh and then you have acdc as the headliner which the that you there's also a ton of video footage of metallica playing at moscow too that's kind of one of their big shows as well Mm. and then um we have a couple of songs on this set from that moscow show wow so it was just is i can't even imagine just overall what a what a show what a lineup that would have been yeah i've i've watched the pantera show when i was doing my research for the pantera episode and it is mind-blowing how good they are is that the one where um where uh like all the footage is in black and white it's yes okay it's that iconic performance of domination on there yeah and and it's it's outside uh-huh. and just in the middle of nowhere like yep, a festival because that's, that's... every time someone says moscow i think they're performing at the kremlin <laughs> no for some no it's it's that, it's that big show <laughs> that yeah it's, it's all filmed in black and white that... I, I know I was what you're say, talking about you now. know yes. what i'm talking about you just don't realize it yet because anyone that's been slightly yeah, familiar so. with pantera knows about those performances it's kind of like their yeah. big show. Okay. Um, but the big show was the one at Castle Donington in England. Castle Donington has been the site of many a great legendary rock show. And um, I was able to get a couple of the Donington versions of these songs on our list. But for some reason, you can't get access to that whole concert. And I don't understand why. And it makes me very upset because I really, really love all the performances from that show. So um, so that's what we're pulling from. This is I think that they were never better live than they were on that tour. There's just they just they were at the perfect point in their career where they had already a ton of experience Mm -hmm. as a live group like this is not them just now becoming a big stadium group they've been a big stadium group for about 10 years at that point but these were by far the biggest crowds they had ever played to um it's not at the point yet where you feel like the guys are getting old yet and tired not to say that Angus has ever gotten tired, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, there's still this young vitality to everyone's playing and singing. That it's still, the performances are still top-notch. They also got enough of a back catalog to really make a just dynamic set. You know, they've got, mm-hmm. at this point almost 20 years worth of great rock and roll music to put together the perfect show. 
Mm-hmm. And yeah. at this point, because they've been big for so long, they have a lot of money to spend on their stage show. <laughs> and their stage show at Donington <laughs> is pretty incredible. We'll talk about one of the big things they use in one of the songs we're going to be talking about. But like um, on Whole Lot of Rosie, they have this giant inflatable naked woman that takes up the entire back row of the stage. Uh, you know with hell's bells they have a giant bell that descends that brian johnson swings from as the bell tolls you've got um actual cannons coming out for those about to rock we salute you and 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 firing into the audience not actually firing firing blanks but still the the sheer force of these cannons coming out and this makes a lot more sense because last last time you were saying that they have a, a reputation for being like the loudest live band of all time oh yes and they're also <laughs> yeah. like well yeah cannons cannons would do it they are extremely loud but they also just there's there's a certain energy that comes from them when they play live that really transcends a lot of what happens on the studio versions. They're one of those bands that the songs you can tell are written in the studio, but they kind of have an eye on for and just go, wait till we play this live. And I tried to pick songs here that I feel were bested by the live version than the studio recording. Not necessarily every time, but for the most part, I wanted to pick songs that, like, this is the version you need to hear. This is the definitive version of this song. So, um, let's talk a little bit about Angus Young. So, if you guys haven't listened to our first episode before, Angus is the face the the star of the band that wasn't always yep. true not that he wasn't a star but he wasn't the only star because back when bon scott was in the band like they were they were considered a two-headed beast um he was he's the only person that angus has ever shared a stage with that could be his equal in stage presence and charisma now, they did not have the same type of charisma in stage presence, but, um, you know, people went as much to see what's Bond going to do as they did what's Angus going to do. Hmm. There was definitely this this competition between them on stage. So what do you mean they have, like, different charisma like different energy angus's charisma in his stage presence is by just being an absolute maniac on stage you guys have ever watched Mm -hmm. him play he never stops moving he's never even usually looking at the audience his head is always whipping around he's always contorting into the most painful looking face 
and he's always like shaking or spasming or duck walking or literally having a seizure on the floor. It's called he calls it he calls it the dying mm-hmm. bug. Because he just he falls onto the floor and just literally spins around flailing his arms and legs while still playing the guitar. So he has that kind of energy of just mm-hmm. like almost like a like a wind up toy that's just been unleashed. It's it's not yeah. even it's it doesn't even seem human. He's just like he's this this machine that's been let loose, this wild animal. Mm-hmm. Where Bon Scott had this very cool, calm, collected, yet also kind of menacing, yet in in another way very sexual presence about him. He was someone that could beat you up and take your girlfriend from you at any given moment if he spied you in the audience. He had this, he just had this bravado about him. He just, he felt like he was truly a criminal off of the streets. But at the same time, like everyone loved that about him because again, that's what a lot of Mm -hmm. his lyrics were about. And so people felt like he truly lived whatever he wrote about. And that's because he did. Mm. He had been arrested several Mm. times. He had done just about everything that he wrote about instead of just like creating a character. Like he wrote about himself and he expressed that on stage. Mm. He had this machoism about him where um, Angus had this schoolboy from hell where it was just, he was, he was literally like a devil unleashed to just go and ravage the stage. Um, if, if Angus was the devil's son, then Bond was the devil himself. That almost in a way had him on a leash <laughs> that he could, he could unleash him at any moment. He was the dark brooding figure that had this wicked smile on his face behind Angus's uh, wild uh, persona. And so whenever Bon Scott died, uh, one of the things that Angus said that he was really nervous about was having to be the sole member of the stage dynamic presence. Because Bon Scott didn't have that about him he's still an incredible performer and still one of the greatest rock vocalists of all time but he didn't have that um, that snarling swagger about him that Bon Scott had and he and he didn't try to replicate it Brian Johnson is just being himself and that's really you could say that's what Bon Scott was too it's just that yeah. him being himself was so unique and so um, particular to ACDC's sound at that time. So, mm-hmm. um, so Angus really carries the entire um, weight of the band's stage show on his shoulders because definitely all the other members of the band 
and very intentionally back away. Like you've got, you know, obviously really? you've got Brian Johnson running around the front of the stage because he's you know, singing to the crowd, getting their participation. And then you have Angus literally mm-hmm. exploring every inch of the stage. But then mm. you've got Malcolm Young, rhythm guitar, and Cliff Williams on bass holding back right in front of the drums. They never move. They don't yeah. walk mm-hmm. to different parts of the stage. They pretty much just get out of Angus's way. Musically hmm. and physically. They Malcolm doesn't play any solos. He's purely rhythm. He plays very unselfishly. As well as Cliff Williams. You don't ever hear Cliff like busting out some tasty bass lick. He's just holding things down. And it's really amazing when you realize how long he has to play the same thing over and over again. It shows incredible self-control. I think that it's even more impressive that he's not busting into all these different uh, little runs and stuff during some of these sections. Because any normal bassist would. They would get bored of having to keep keep it down, so they would add in some... I know it, because that's what I would do. Hmm. And so, you know, they're very... And also, they're in charge of all of the background vocals, because um, very rarely does um, Angus get behind a microphone and do any kind of background vocals. Occasionally, he will. He doesn't on any of the songs that we're going to talk about tonight. Um, because, I mean, he just he doesn't stay still long enough to be able to stand behind the microphone. So whenever you hear the um, any background vocals in their live show, that's going to be Malcolm and Cliff. Hmm. They just and they just they just take a couple steps steps to get in front of their mic. They take a t- couple steps back and they just literally they plant their feet and they don't move they just they just move in place just kind of you know bop into the rhythm and and you know they just they're very stoic i i remember there was an interview with malcolm young talking about that and talking about how it was very very difficult to keep playing the same riff over and over and over again, have it sound exactly the same so that it wouldn't distract from mm-hmm. whatever Angus was doing. It's all deliberate. And then that, that and he took a lot of pride yeah. in that as well in being able to play the same mm-hmm. thing over and over again, which to be fair, like that's, yes, it difficult. is. I, you know, especially for an instrument like uh-huh. guitar. That's I would touchy. say, and I've said this before that, uh, Malcolm is the greatest rhythm guitar player of all time. I don't, mm-hmm. and I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find anyone that would disagree with that. Uh, I, I think that if you really break down, if you do find anyone that disagrees with it, you got to break down what a rhythm uh-huh. guitar player really is. And as far as the spirit of rhythm guitar. I mean that's that's you need what someone you need that is right completely there. unselfish, completely steady, mm-hmm. someone that no matter what brings incredible touch and rhythm to whatever they're playing. And I 
and yeah. he's actually good. I mean, you know, you really break down some of the rhythms he's playing. It's just like you got to be an incredible guitar player to be able to play this riff well over and over again. Not to mention he's writing a lot of those mm-hmm. riffs too. So, yeah, absolutely. And we'll talk about some of the instances where it's just like, good Lord, Malcolm, you are just keeping (laughs) everything exactly where it needs to be while Angus just goes off into crazy land. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then um, we've got on this tour, like I said, Phil Rudd was not in the band during this time. So we have Chris Slade on drums who played only on one album and um, and he played on this tour, obviously. Um, but I mean, yeah, he's a drummer that can say, I played Thunderstruck, which I think is a pretty great thing to be able to have on your resume. <laughs> um, yeah, true. And then he was actually the drummer that filled in when Phil Rudd got arrested for meth and murder for hire on that rocker bus tour. <laughs> You're just like, well, let's call Chris Slade. Mm-hmm. And so he, uh, so he once again, filled that role whenever they needed it. When Phil was in trouble. So he, I actually really like Chris Slade as a drummer. I actually personally prefer him over Phil Rudd. That's maybe a heretical thing to say. But it's true. I think that he has a really cool style to him. Something that's a bit unique for him. As well as he's got a very cool drum setup. He has his... He's a right-handed player. But he has his hi-hat on the right side of the kit. Ooh. He plays everything... He plays everything open-handed... She has and, one of those like hmm. kind of like triggered clutches. Uh-huh. That's nice. And, yeah, it's pretty cool. And he's got two massive bass drums above each side of his head that he <laughs> uses for accenting. Like on Thunderstruck, the thunder. Yeah. He hits both of those. Like he has to like butterfly, do a jumping jack motion in order to hit both of them (laughs) but it's a really cool visual thing and he looks like he's having a blast whenever he's playing where phil red literally looks like he doesn't give two craps whether he's on stage like he he literally plays with a cigarette hanging out of the end of his mouth it's pretty dope though it is dope it's a it's a completely different his own vibe yeah it's it's not that, you know, you wouldn't say that it's right or wrong. That, you know, I just, me personally, as more of a showman. Now, of course, he's still a very unselfish drummer. He doesn't take a lot of um, times to, like, you know, boast about his playing. He just, he's still, just like the rest of the rhythm section of ACDC, keeps things very simple. But he just he has these little nuances that I'm just like, I don't think that Phil Red could do that hmm. or would choose yeah. not to do that. Hmm. And I really like that Chris Slade is doing that. As well as hmm. he has some okay. ungodly hi-hat hand speed. 
<laughs> yeah, there's some stuff where it's just like, and he does it for so long. Like the endurance is ridiculous. There, um, they have a live version uh, on that show of "Let There Be Rock," which I don't know if you guys are familiar with that song. Mm-mm. Where they do a kind of. ten-minute version of it, and normally the song is already pretty fast on the studio recording when they do it live at Donington it's and he does it for 10 minutes unbroken and I don't know how he's doing it I've looked at the video of it and he and he, he just, he's not straining. He doesn't have this look of grimace like he's really concentrating. He's just like having a ball playing that that inhuman speed for 10 minutes straight. He's just activating yeah. <laughs> mode or something where he just I I've I mean, after playing he's for able that to... long like you're and like and all like even the third song in our set today I was like that's pretty insane yeah but mm-hmm. um yeah i mean imagine playing something like that like every day yeah. or every other day I, just... I know it's because he's you know he's just done it so many times but still like i tried to play along with it i couldn't even last 30 seconds <laughs> you gotta work on those rudiments that's bro. actually I know. something because that is really saying something because you could play those Opeth songs all the way yep. through this summer, and some some there are some pretty intense. Yeah, parts there wasn't there. ever really much tough with the hands though. A lot of the difficult parts of the Opeth were the feet. Well, and just the yeah. coordination. It's the, just the it's, yeah, it's the, the pure power right. though of of his playing. It's the difference between a sprint. And a, and a marathon. Yes. With these sprinting. Like, anyone marathon. can, with memorization on hard drum parts, it's right. like you kind of get the feel down for the for the section. Uh-huh. And then you lock it into muscle memory. This is just like mind over matter. Like you just like, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to sit here. matter. And go for 10 minutes. And and be totally cool. Cool as a cucumber. And I mean, I guess there's something to be said, though, there for ACDC drums, because they're very, like, that's the joke, is that, like, ACDC is terrible for drummers, because there's nothing uh-huh. there. Be, I mean, it's just, it's it's pretty much kick-snare for the most part. It's very simple, but no, that no, doesn't no. mean it's bad. And that's something that I've slowly learned over the past few years is that just because the drumming is yeah and often i think it's bad. like the purpose of what, whatever the song is trying to do because like dream theater is right obviously and, it's just and, like whoa everyone is doing all this crazy right. stuff but you get to pop right. and it's like you know the instruments aren't even real you go to funk and if you if you were to add if you were to add a drum beat like a like a Mike Portnoy drum beat to an ACDC song it would mm-hmm. make the song worse and so i think in that regard the drumming yeah. is the best and it also can be. what i what i 
learned is that even though the parts per se are simple, capturing the feel correctly is not easy to do. Isn't. There's one way mm-hmm. to play it the way ACDC is, does and another way to make it sound the way ACDC does. Like, to cop, to capture Phil Rudd's feel is actually quite difficult to do. There's a lot of nuance in the way you're hitting the hi-hat, the way you're hitting the snare. Like, it's not just as simple as do-go, do-go. Right. So... Yeah, so that's kind of the uh, no pun intended stage that has been set for the songs in this episode. So we've got we've got ACDC in their prime. We've kind of we've talked about you know kind of what role everyone fits on stage, and um, mm-hmm. the last thing I'll talk about is just kind of their approach. So with ACDC. It's all about just making it fun and dynamic for a live crowd while also adding in some fun long jams. And you'll find that we've got several mm-hmm. great long jams on this yeah. set. And I think that they mm-hmm. really just add in a great extra f- flavor to the song. Would would you classify ACDC's live performances like jam band? Um, Almost. to a certain extent, yes. Um, I would say probably n- maybe not as much because they don't do it for every song. I wouldn't even say they really do it for majority of songs. I would say like a third of their songs they'll take into jam mode. Okay. I think that's enough yeah. to call them a jam well, band. Well. The fact that they make a habit of you know, like veering off from what it is on the record and just having fun with it. I think that well, that, that counts in my book. A, jam, a true jam band jam band is like, we know what the verse and the chorus is, and then there's a solo section for as long as we feel like it. But like for every song, almost. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, jam band like means the, that you literally, you'll hear something not just kind of different, but something radically different every single time you see them. They will never play the song even kind of close to the same way twice. Where with AC, like you'll be like, oh, that song, and then they just again, it's it's more close to jazz, but maybe even a little bit more extreme. Where it's like, I know that song. That's the oh, that's the verse, that's the chorus, and here that's the same sounds as you would hear on the album. But then once you go into once you're kind of done with the sections that are technically the melody, it's like anything's fair game after that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of funk bands do that where it's like, there's not really even a melody. It's just like the, the song is the groove and like the guitar part, you know? Yeah. And then people just solo over it for like 15 minutes mm-hmm. and then the song's over. And then you go to the next song and you do the exact same thing. But I was just wondering if AC, because a lot of our songs in the set do that, and I was like, does ACDC like I? I literally watched a, the Wolfpack like live in Madison Square Garden today mm-hmm. again, and like that's what that's like. They're kind of a jam band. Then I was like, does ACDC like 
go through the song and then they always have like kind of that free open solo section where they can just vibe out. But it sounds like that's a no. No, they don't. That's fair. Um, it's cool that they the do. Thing, the thing though. with them is that everything is led by Angus. Um, he pretty much gives very big visual cues on when we get out in and out of the jam sections. But they pretty much know what generally is going to happen. They just don't... Obviously, his solos are usually different every time. And maybe he goes a little shorter here, a little longer there. But there's always... They always know how to get in and out of it. Yeah. So there's a form. There is a form. It's it's much... It's more loose. It's not like a, you know, we're going to do... I'm going to do 12 bars. So after 12 bars, we're going to be done. It's going to be when you see me run off of the wing of the stage back to the center that's when you know we're done <laughs> all right. it's more like that that's also all the ways that, the, good that they do their good. trash cans is that you know it's when they trash can that's when he starts really spasming and like falling down on the floor and writhing about but then he'll start running towards the drums and he'll leap in the air. And as soon as he lands, that's the cue to hit the last hit. Is that pretty methodically true? Like every time? Pretty much. Yeah. But just again, it's in the sense of just that, you know, it's Angus is leading the changes. They're all looking to him. They're not mm. looking to Brian Johnson. They're not looking to anyone else. It's, you know, it's all Angus is leading the show. And so, um, so yeah, as far mm. as what I call them a jam band, no, because, you know, you're going to generally hear the same thing every night. It just might. The details might be different, but you're not going to have a wildly different interpretation every night. Rather than, say, like the Grateful Dead, the reason why fans were so obsessed with following them on tour is because you could have the exact same set of songs night to night, and it would be a 100% different experience. You would literally... You would literally, I didn't know you that. would I literally cool. hear a different song, a version of that song every time you saw them. And so that was the thrill: is, oh man, how are they going to play this song this time? And it would be, it could literally be the next night. They're making it up as they go. And that's what a jam band does. Um, it's cool. just, it's all about, you know, yes, like jazz, you you have okay. your ace. You, your head that you play and then after that who knows yeah yeah it's fair game uh-huh that. and that's the sign you got to have a great band in order to pull that mm-hmm. off because everyone's got to be on the same page you got to be thinking the same wavelengths and that's true of it. or you have to be good enough for someone to contribute an idea and then everyone exactly know what they're supposed to do with that yeah idea. now um that doesn't just apply to jam bands like just any great band that's 
that's going to go somewhat off book. Um, you've got to be really always thinking in the same wavelength. Like, I really learned about that when I was learning about um, Bruce Springsteen, which we're going to do that episode next week. Um, watching them play live is insane because they're playing the songs. Like I've, I looked at a couple of performances. They're playing it wildly different every time. You kind of actually don't know where the song's going to go, but because they all know each other as musicians so well, it's not in the way a jam band would. Because it's it's still going with a lot of vocal. It's kind of more like you don't know what part of the song they're going to do, even though they know the, all the parts of the songs already. It's more of they jumble up the order of everything they're doing. Yeah. And so, but at the same time, just, you know, they they know each other. They They know, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to ever go in this musical direction because it's not what uh, the rest of the band is going to thrive on. I know that if, you know, Angus starts going in this direction musically, I know how to follow him. If that makes sense at all. Mm -hmm. They, they just, they have, they have Mm -hmm. this telepathic connection with each other that, they know how to follow each other into whatever musical territory they decide to go in. Hmm. So, okay. do you guys have anything else? I think that sets us up well enough for right. the song. Well, then we will take a, a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the six songs that we have picked for this set. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about ACDC and the lead up to their 1991 performance, which we are talking about today on this volume two of ACDC. Now, if you haven't listened to the first ACDC episode, definitely go check this out. Usually we have our uh, song list to act as an introduction to the band, but we're assuming that you've already been introduced and are clicking on this episode, having already known who ACDC is, basic information, um, their song style as a whole. So if you haven't listened to that episode, definitely go check it out. So, Lucas... For those of us who are new, what do I mean by six songs? So uh, this is our opportunity to really just concretely talk about all the things you were talking about in part one, Um, as well as these are the songs that are going to best get you to know as ACDC as a live group. So it's not just me picking six random songs or even my six favorites, but rather a set that's going to really introduce you to them as a live group, as well as songs that transition well off of each other and eventually lead to a cathartic experience at the end. 
So um, the way that you can listen to these songs is there's a link in the description of the episode that will take you to a Spotify playlist that will have not just the songs from this episode, but all the songs from our previous episodes as well. So make sure that you go take a look at all those and we'll go ahead and get started with the first song on our set, something Grant that you and me are very familiar with because our band had it in our, um, in our repertoire. Yes. It was actually the very first song that I played with you guys whenever I auditioned. Oh, really? Yep. I remember that. I remember you keep wanting to play Mr. Brownstone and we never did. Yeah. Still never did. But, uh, um, yeah, this is, you shook me all night long. I wanted to start with just, this is, this is really going to be the only hit on, Mm. Our list. Now, I kind of wanted to start with something familiar for, you know, people to just kind of, you know, get in and go, okay, I know this song and invest mm. you in immediately. Where do they usually and put After the that, we're going to go into more uh, deeper cuts. And maybe not even say deeper cuts, more songs that are live favorites rather than radio favorites. Mm-hmm. Where do they usually put this song in the set list? This is actually usually pretty far into the concert. This was kind of a bit of a a um, uh, a bit of a unique placing for me. Mm-hmm. I I figured this would be something to not expect. Like they start off that show with Thunderstruck. That's pretty yeah, cool. and it, yeah. It's but expected. I've already done Thunderstruck on the first episode. By the way, in case you didn't know, the songs that we cannot talk about because we've already talked about them. In our first episode, were Thunderstruck, Shoot the Thrill, Dirty Deeds, Dunder Cheap, um, Whole Lot of Rosie, Let There Be Rock, and For Those About to Rock, We Salute You. So if you're wondering, how could you not talk about those songs? It's because we already have. It's fair. So, um, yeah, this usually comes in, like, I would say, you could say that this kind of starts off, like, the fourth quarter of the show. Hmm. So that's and, why it fades in from nothing on the on Spotify. Actually, no, it's because this the album that they have on Spotify is a collection from lots of different shows, so all the songs fade in. Uh, if you noticed, okay. all six of the songs do that in this set. Hmm. And that's why it's because they're pulling from different shows on that tour, which again, I'm sad because I would really have liked to have all of the songs from, um, from the yeah. Donington show, but still it's, you know, we're still getting some of the best versions of these songs. It's true. It's still the same tour. So it's the same idea. It just doesn't have that internal consistency that I would like. So th- this is from the Moscow performance, right? Um, I believe so. Okay. We've got two songs from the Donington show, and those are the ones that have the different um, album cover that have the backtracks mm-hmm. album cover on it. That means it's from Donington. Okay. And they didn't include all the songs from Donington on that album. They just picked 
in my opinion, actually the two that I wanted the most to be the Donington version. Okay. Um, but then the rest of them are from um, from the Moscow show. So yeah, this is usually um, kind of starting. You they usually have a big like jammy song right before. Um, uh, you shook me all night long, mm-hmm. and then you shook me. You know, kind of easing you back in and kind of giving you a crowd favorite after having put you through a long, arduous jam song. Mm. So that's kind of where the this normally fits in in the set. But I figured that this would be just a really kind of strong, very poignant way to start the set. Yeah. Because people are going to go, oh, I know this song. Okay, I'll, I'll get into this mm. playlist. It's hard and for the song course, not to be my favorite on the out of the six. Yeah, I mean this is this is many a people's favorite ACDC it's... song. This is actually my mom's favorite song of all time. Wow! What? Yep. Wow! I don't know why it just is. I mean, all that's. Right. I mean, at least she didn't pick like. A really bad song. It's still a really good song. Just oh, it's an incredible it's song. Weird that that somebody would pick this for their favorite song of all time. I remember when um, yeah, in high school, our history teacher would put on like instrumental songs, you know, like instrumental music, mm-hmm. and there was like an instrumental like like uh, string section cover of this song. And I was like mouthing the words along to it, and of course, it's like it's a private school, so like, <laughs> they kind of got on to me for it. But like I don't, you know. Um, but no. Like, then you said it's it's your fault for uh, yeah, it's your playing. Yeah, it. it's your fault for playing the song. You know what I'm saying? Uh, How dare you tempt me to sing the it, song? It's also it's such a simple song too to play. And that's another mm-hmm. thing that I think makes ACDC very big. And that's one thing that makes a lot of bands very big with simple songs is because, and and Ozzy said this, and I think I've quoted this before, but he wanted a guitar player, you know, when he was looking for Randy Rose, he wanted a guitar player that wasn't going to play a riff that was going to impress, you know, the greatest guitar players of all time. He wanted a guitarist to write a riff that would make somebody actually want to go learn to play guitar. And I think ACDC does that. And I think this is a great example of that because this is such a simple song. Anyone can mm-hmm. play it. And it's so this fun. Is a, this is a lot of people's intro to guitar right. song. right? And here. I think that that's a, that's a big contributor, I think, me and my naive self. I think that that's a big contributor to why they were so big is yeah, they, they write good songs. They have a great, you know, live performance, but they also write songs that people feel like they can go home and play. Yeah. And yeah, I thought that this, um, that opening little guitar medley, I think is one of the most genius song moments musically they've ever come yeah. up with that. Mm-hmm. Because it really doesn't have anything to do with the song. It's kind of its own 
just unique musical idea for that song. Mm-hmm. And I think that it really sets the song up so well. Yeah, if you just started with that first drum hit, it just wouldn't be the same. Yeah. That's a good point. Or if it like started with the riff maybe by itself, like bam, 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 and then the drums came in like more like Highway to Hell style. Mm-hmm. I don't think it'd be as effective. There's just something very unique about that little guitar intro. Again, like they don't reprise that anywhere later in the song. It's just it's its, it's own. It's like a little thing. introduction to the song. Yeah. Man, you're and that's why I also Yeah. Go ahead. That's why I also think that this really works as the first song of our set. Is just it's a it's a it's a nice introduction. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't know the song, hearing those opening guitar lines, it's very inviting. It invites you in. So mm-hmm. what is usually going on on stage during the song? So this is a pretty straightforward song. Like this is a, this isn't a song they usually jam to. They don't have props going on this song. Um, this is very much just you know Angus doing his thing, strutting around the stage. But um, they they don't put on a like a big show for this one. This is just kind of you know. Um, there have been other times later in their tours where they have the music video playing on a big screen behind them, mm-hmm. but they don't do that on the Donington show. So, I mean, the song really kind of speaks for itself. Yeah. If there was a song that you didn't need anything special for, it would be this one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this was the first song Brian Johnson said that he actually ever worked on ACDC with. Wow. And so he says because of that, it's still his favorite song to perform. It's his favorite ACDC song. Because he's just like, it always takes me back to my very first time writing and jamming with these guys. That's pretty cool. And so it's just, he says that he always is very sentimental every time. And he's like, I've even the, the hundreds of times that I've played it, it's never gotten old. That's nice. Because, yeah. because when you're, when you have a career of that length, you know, the things, <laughs> the, the songs you play tend to get old. I mean, I remember watching, um, I can't remember who it was. I think it was GNR. And they were like playing some of the stuff from Appetite for Destruction. Some of the some of the newer guitar players who were in there, like they were, you know, enjoying themselves and whatever. But you could tell that Axel was kind of phoning it in because it's like he's performed those songs like a bajillion times that it gets uh-huh. a little old. And it's like, yeah, it's great. I wrote this song or I helped write this song, and a lot of people love it. But at the same time, it's like. I've had this experience a million times. And so that's yeah. great. And they've and they've all Guns N' Roses have all famously hated Sweet Child of Mine. <laughs> yeah. Well they've not, I didn't know that. no one in that band has ever really liked that yeah. song. Well, I mean I was I was thinking it was Night Train. From my memory, they were performing Night Train when I had that that thought. But which is also a great song, but I don't know what their opinion on it is. That's why anyway. you, you always mm-hmm. write songs that you like, or you yes, might be always... stuck playing it a hundred times because it might be the one that gets famous. Or, or better yet, play songs that you 
that nobody would ever like. That way you never have to perform them a million times. <laughs> that's, that's that's the, the true key. That right why there. some of our worst songs have been written? <laughs> Maybe. Come on, guys. Let's play a song we'll never have to play live because everyone will hate it. Yeah. Well. <laughs> that didn't work for Metallica and Escape. Because <laughs> then... They eventually had to play it when they had to do that enti- when they did the entire album for the first time. Oh, but that was a and good James song, go- though. It's not that good in my mind. And James James still thinks it's the worst song he ever wrote. Yeah, but that didn't make it bad. You said he this said about the down- Sean. He said, "I'm not talking about necessarily what my opinion is, but that's that's from the writer's mouth right. himself." Uh, but I dis I disagree. As a listener, I disagree. Yeah, well, it's definitely <laughs> adding comparison to a lot of other Metallica songs. But that's a discussion for a whole other. <laughs> that time. would that yeah that'll be a discussion for our Metallica volume two. Um. So, all that to say. Brian Johnson loves You Shook Me All Night Long. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were hinting at this a little bit in our previous uh, section, but man, what a what a raunchy song. Mm. A little bit, yeah. I mean, there it doesn't even hide behind double entendres. This is just like pure single entendres. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, They're only doing one entendre. <laughs> Yeah, there's there they don't bother themselves with two of them. It's just one. Oh, that's a funny way to say it. I mean, I think that that's okay for this song because it's yeah, like, I mean, it's not intended to be like ooh secret meanings ooh, but like I mean, at at the core, they really are a pop band as well as many uh-huh. of the artists that we've talked about. And when you when you tend yeah. to get into a lot of that super poetic stuff i think and this might be a disagreement that i will go back on if i start really looking into the difference between brian johnson and bon scott lyrically but i think that if you do a lot of that poetic stuff it tends to lose the poppiness you know yeah to an extent It, it it can be there's also certain poetic songs that really just kind of capture the the people's imaginations. That's true too. Like you look at something like say Stairway to Heaven. That's true. Super poetic, but it's like one of the most popular songs ever made. Mm-hmm. Well, but I mean when you when you want to write when you want to write like easy pop. Yeah, like if easy you want to crank out a pop song. You, you whatever, don't whatever worry easy about. I mean, easy like easy to write, easy to write, easy to play, easy to record. You know, if you if you want to speed run a pop song, you're not going to worry about <laughs> double entendres. You're gonna you're gonna want to like write stuff that is super simple that people understand. Like, oh, this song is about doing the dirty. You know. Uh huh. Knock, getting knocked out by those American thighs. I think that I think that's just that's that's part of it. I think 
yeah. good or bad. That's part of it. This is this is a song where it works. Yeah, that's 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 for sure. What we're trying to get at. Mm-hmm. It's it doesn't have to be clever. It just it just is what it yeah. is. <laughs> I think, and I just think that you know the hooks are really strong. Um, you've got that very iconic guitar solo. This is actually considered like to be Angus Young's most famous guitar solo. Oh, right. So. Um, very simple. It's not a. It's not a big shredder solo. It's just. It's a. It's a. It's a. It's like just a straight blues guitar rock song. And it's very melodic. The solo itself yes. for being, you know, from coming coming from a guitar player who is so sporadic on stage, playing such a melodic and really sweet bluesy guitar solo is really something that's unique. And I think that's really mm-hmm. cool. I think he's one of the low-key best blues players ever. Yeah. Even though it's technically not blues, yeah, I'll, I'll agree with mm-hmm. that. Just, But all his solos are very much blues-based right. and not, I guess, what you would call, like, you know, more rock-based. Yeah. He usually always plays a He is not a shredder. It's... it's well, in some ways, he is. Well, that's just that's not his. Just not in the tradition. Not not. He's not in. He's not an Eddie Van Halen. That's type. not his strong point. Is who's going to who's going tons of different modes and or Jimmy Page where he's going to experiment with different modes and keys and you know he's just he's just going to play a blues solo. That's just yeah. what he's going to do. He's not going to go for speed. He keeps it simple. He's yeah. not going to go for speed. Although for he, the there are some very fast, very fast solos. All you got to do is hear "Let There Be Rock" or "Whole Lot of Rosie," and you'll hear some pretty blisteringly fast playing. All right. Well, with that, um, I will I will quickly add that um. This is number ten on the floor. Oh yeah, we gotta talk about that. Number ten. This is number ten. It's really low, actually. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, I always yeah. am confused when people say if some what's low and high on a on a worst to best. Like if you say low as in it's close to one, or it's low as in it should be higher on the list. No, I mean that's that's very. Are you saying you think this should be closer to no, one, just, or that it's, I'm not saying it should be? I'm, I'm saying it I'm good. surprised as how far away from one that it is. But then, if you really step back and well, think about got a it, lot of great songs. there's a lot of great ACDC songs. Wow! Yes, so. there are. Um, real quick, I'll even give you guys a qu- uh, a ranking of the songs from our previous episodes um i put let there be rock as number one i think that that's the best song that they've ever written uh for those about to rock is at number three whole lot of rosies at number four shoot to thrills at number Mm -hmm. six thunderstruck seven and dirty is the number two on this list Mm. no okay And neither is number hmm. eight. But number five. Oh, I bet I know what it is. 
and obviously, and obviously number two. Right, right. Because we're talking about it, right? Right. Okay. Well, then, with that, I think we should move on to the next song, then. And that is... Someone announced it. Uh, that is... <laughs> hell ain't a bad place uh, to be. Hell ain't a bad there place to be. There we go. There we go. Okay. I was I'm, I was going ahead and looking for it on the <laughs> on the rank playlist. And I was counting, so I was waiting for someone else to do it. You're, no one you're did. Usually like, the fine, guy. I'll do it. Yeah. Listen, I know. I was just trying to. I was just trying to okay. look real quick. So where's this on the playlist? Yeah. So this one is lower on the list. Um. I don't want to hear any crap about this being the the lame second song. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> I think uh, if if I might I think this set does like a like a valley where I think the bookends are the best. And I think it kind of towards the middle gets the lowest and then it creeps back up and that's that's kind of okay. a little bit so by design it's meant to kind of it's meant to kind of have that feel to it um this song is number 42 oh, wow but again that's acdc has a freaking strong catalog so even all the songs in that area are still great great songs yeah, I mean, this I wasn't that. Bad. I didn't think it was. I didn't think it was bad. Yeah, it's not bad. This didn't. Yeah, it didn't stand not out in my mind as being like, "Oh, Lucas picked another bad second song." Because I mean, obviously, we haven't had that for a while now. That was just like a string of two episodes, I think, and then it became a thing. <laughs> and then it just become my right. running is, joke. How many, how many songs have you ranked? Like, is forty-two in the top twenty percent? Probably. Um, I can find out. That's still real pretty quick good here. for a band like ACDC. Um, I've ranked 122. Okay. So it's in the top 33 percent. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. Good. So this was originally from the Bon Scott era. This was on their album "Let There Be Rock." Okay. And I found out after the fact. That for the longest time, it isn't on the Donington concert, but this was their go-to second song of oh. the set. Oh, that's pick. funny. And I love it whenever these things just happen to be so, because it's like it's always vindication for me yeah. of where and, I've put and it. And you picked it before you knew that. Nice. Yep. I think that this song just has a great stomp yeah. into it. And that riff is really good. The It's so classic. It kind of sounds like Shoot to Thrill in a way. Yeah. I don't think in not um, a bad way. Obviously this song is older than right. Shoot to Thrill. Right. Um, This is one of those songs that for the longest time like you know, it's it's one of those songs that the Christians will say, see, they're a satanic band. They're telling you that you should go to hell. <laughs> 
and that's not what this. So then, what is it about? It's about a woman that everyone says is hell, but he's just like, if she's hell, then hell ain't a bad place to be. (laughs) Okay, that's pretty good. Yeah. So again, this is this is he's he's really clever. uh, Bon Scott is about kind of the way he writes his parts because it's just like that's a really clever way to kind of just talk about um a a, a wild it's a lot of information in everyone a couple else... of sentences yep <laughs> and and then he's you know he's talking about she brings out the devil in me hell ain't a bad place to yeah. be and so, you know, yeah, that's it's not it's not it's kind of in the same way that Highway to Hell is not actually about right. hell. It's a it's about life on the road and how the road is hell, but it's the only place they want to be. It's where all their friends are going to be and you know, that that's what it's really about. Mm-hmm. This is the same thing. They they usually never talk about hell in the sense of like you know the actual place of fire and brimstone Mm. it's usually always you know because you know that's more of an american thing to be like freaked out about all things hell and the Mm -hmm. devil Mm. and and australia where they come from by the way in case you guys didn't know they're an australian band um that's that's way less of a concern like they they don't get as easily offended and scared. They get the they get the humor mm-hmm. in it. Where Americans tend to have it go over their heads. Hmm. Nothing goes over our heads. Our reflexes are too fast. We would catch up. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um. So yeah, this is this is one of those go to songs that I hear like people try and say that, you know, it's you're you're sinning if you're listening to ACDC. Cause see, they've got a song called Hell Ain't a Bad Place to Be. Obviously it is a bad place to be and you shouldn't listen to a song that supports that. I mean I was just yeah. like, you guys have not Yeah. You're looking at a title and making an assumption you're you're not actually looking and seeing what's being said but in the in a weird way i mean did they still write songs like with titles like that after they were you know big in america and everything so in a way they're okay with being part of the shock rock even though they didn't intend to originally they're kind of okay with being labeled as such it's more of just like if they want to write it's not again they're not trying to shock it's just like if they want to write a song about that they're going to write a song about it and they're not going to care who's offended they're not seeking to offend but they're not scared of offending okay if that makes sense at all yeah yeah it's more of just if they if they want to write it no one's going to stop them even with they're not going to go out even with the really bad press and everything, I guess press. Yeah. Again, just yeah. It 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 it. They said that it it was hard dealing with it, but at the same time, it's just that's their attitudes. They don't back down. They don't yeah. back down from pressure. They don't back from criticism. 
They don't back down from people telling them, oh, you need to clean up your image and present a more wholesome um, package for the young kids. They're just being like, no, that's not what we want to do. Hmm. If we want to, if we want to make songs like this, then you can't tell us we yeah. can't. Hmm. So that's that's, that's, no, that's more of that. All right. So, um, so yeah, this is going to be an example of a song that is originally Bon Scott and Brian Johnson is taking over the vocals, but he takes over them so well. He sings oh, yeah. this song very well. It's not one where you're just like, oh, I can tell that this was meant for a different vocalist. Like it, it still feels like it was written for him yeah. to sing. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's where Brian Johnson has succeeded so well as a vocalist is that even when you listen to like the really big Bon Scott songs, like, you know, Highway to Hell and um, Dirty Deeds, like when he sings it, it still feels so natural to hear him sing it his voice still fits it even though his voice is almost up miles away from uh from bon mm-hmm. scott's well yeah kind of in the like they yes they're they both have rock voices with some grit to it but really like you would never confuse the two i have before you would never say i was young and inexperienced but i used to even imagine cdc without the current singer i know so i guess ethan you probably not have heard what bon scott sounds like that's something that you'll need to go check out after we do this after we finish this episode well, you'll hear it whenever we do our work. There you go. It's true. Um, I am I am constantly surprised yeah, so, uh, as we do more and more ACDC. Like their drums and their guitars, like always, sound so good. Like yep. everything in the mix, yeah, always and sounds they're always so good. perfectly. And the brighter. fact that like this is a live mix is pretty crazy. Because it's very clean. This is one of the this is one of the best sounding live records I've ever heard. They are one of those bands it's, that um, doesn't really change their sound very often. I mean, you look at somebody like Rush changes their sound from album to album. I mean, it's you know completely drastic changes. But if you look at somebody like ACDC or you know. Van Halen's kind of in the middle. People usually tend to put them more towards the ACDC side of like, uh, they don't change their sound hardly at all from album to album because it works. And it's like, that's what they are. Like they found their sound from the beginning. There's no reason to change. They're writing the same kind of music. They really like that feel. They really vibe with it. And they're, they're content where they are. ACDC is one of those things. I would, I would disagree. Uh, I think that every album is wildly different than the well, I other. Mean, sonically, sonically different. Not really. Well, and their, son- their guitars sound, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, Eddie's guitar, I'd say, is the constant. Well, but that's well, really about it. Right, that's that's what I mean, is that, you know, It also seems mixing to me that, like, it. their songwriting formula is pretty similar album to album. 
ACDCs oh, or ACDCs. Van Halens? Right. ACDC oh, yeah. is one. There's a very that's that's, I mean. that's but that's all completely by design. Right. They uh, Malcolm and Angus's older brother George Young um, was in a rock and roll band whenever they were young kids. And this would have been in the '60s, kind of still in the um, the genesis of mm. classic rock. And they scored a big hit, um, "Friday on My Mind," mm. which actually David Bowie covered on his covered album that we talked about a couple episodes ago. Oh. Their next several singles they tried to do something that sounded different than that and and so whenever angus and malcolm were getting their band together george said can i give you a valuable piece of advice do not mess with the formula if you guys find a sound that works do not change it hold on to it don't make the same mm. mistake that we did and so they and it sure did yeah they, it did they're one of the few bands that i would say that um is revered for not changing their sound mm. most other bands like they'll say oh, they're so limited they don't ever you know they don't ever branch out. They just play the same thing over and over Right, and again. I think part of that is that they are they enough see. into the timeless, you know, sort of pop feel, but also they're very much their own sound, right? And so they can keep doing mm -hmm. their own unique thing that nobody can ever really truly copy, but they appeal... And right, and they, that, but they appeal to every generation as well uh-huh so and they're still releasing music i mean we just talked about in the last episode they released another album that's really not that bad so yeah no it's a great album i did not did I you finally have. go listen to it i didn't have <laughs> so you're just you're, well you're assuming what it's I, heard, I haven't listened to the whole thing i haven't listened to the whole thing you're taking I haven't listened You're to the taking whole thing. my word for it. it. So it's not that I know. See, that's why I'm, that's why I didn't say it was amazing. I knew it was half bad. I mean, the rest of the album, I've only listened to like the first few songs, right? But like the rest of the album could be terrible, but I know the first few songs are good. There's 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 some misses in it, but it's also got I mean, quite there's, a there's there's number of hits in, you know. Okay. 99% of albums have, you know, a few misses in them. But, Fair so enough. I won't, I won't hold that against them. So, um, I guess, real quick, uh, both of you guys, kind of tell me what, what sticks out to you about this song. I kind of already said mine. What grabs you like about the this? Sound, like, just sonically, it's so good. I think I, I probably... Um, I know that ACDC has like a formula, you know, but 
like uh, you shook me all night long and hell ain't a bad place to be are like very similar tempo very similar like it's like the acdc formula mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean but it's like the riff is just like it's like get a great riff get a great chorus and you know you pretty much have good, cool. you have a good acdc song and they just know how to do it mm-hmm. yep uh, I did. I did forget to mention that this song does have a great prop to it. And during the song, a giant inflatable Angus with double horns and a tail <laughs> comes out. Oh man! It looks pretty awesome. They got That's a lot of inflatables. Funny. Yes, they do. That's kind of their big thing. Giraffe money. i i've been using that in my normal conversation and i love confusing people when i say man they must have giraffe money (laughs) oh man um i'd have to say for me it's like it sounds like shoot to thrill in the way that yeah it's kind of the same chord progression same tempo same whatever but the guitars are very tight, right? They're not like technically tight, but they're still very tight. Um, the band as a whole. And then also it's the use of, you know, the notes that you don't play are just as important as the notes that you do. Whereas like in You Shook Me All Night Long, like that that uh, that chorus riff is like, there's always sound coming out of the guitar. Right, there's always a note that's ringing on on the guitar, whereas for Hell Ain't a Bad Place to Be, there isn't necessarily, and that's I think one of the hallmarks of ACDC of ACDC sound, whether you realize it or not. That's something that they habitually do in their guitar riffs. So that was that was the big thing for me, was that. All right. Well, I think we can go ahead and move on to the next song. So this one uh, really gets the the wrists moving, like we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the 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 hand speed that um, Chris Slade uses on the drums is pretty incredible on this song, mm-hmm. and that is uh, "Fire Your Guns." So we're back in the Moscow performance now. Yes. Uh, this song is number 25 on my list. Okay. Um, this is this is about right before – this comes like right before the midway part of the show. Okay. So – and this is off of the uh, the Razor's Edge album. So this was this was a song at the time was a new song that they were performing. This song just and again just so hard. Yeah, it's true. It does. It drives that riff. is a monster riff. It's so mm-hmm. simple, but it's like, when they first play that riff. It just hits you in the face because you're not again you're not really used to fast paced ACDC songs 
they've much more made their name on kind of like these these mid-tempo mm-hmm. stompers to kind of just all of a sudden hear just such a furious, mm-hmm. you know, blitzing ACDC song. It's just kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm down with this. In a really weird way, it almost sounds like Motorhead. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. That's funny. But it doesn't it doesn't sound not like them. It just reminds me of Motorhead is what I mean. And I think that's that's an important thing to note as well. They're outside of their regular wheel well, but it's still them. Yeah. Um this song does not have near as much power on the studio version. Really? Um the the riff is played slightly different as many notes on it and also you just you just don't have as much power in the tone of the guitar on the studio version this live version it is just it is so powerful it's just it's just like a it's like a bulldozer just barreling towards you oh, I'm, awesome. I'm getting more of as a well, freight train vibe up. Yeah, I guess something like that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I just yeah, it's this massive engine just like barreling down at you, and they, you know, it's it's a little slower in the studio version. I think that this up tempo really gives it the live um, feeling, just such a great raw energy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that this is the definitive version of this song. I I would agree with that. I mean, we, I didn't watch the um, video for the song. You know that that goes with the with the performance, but you can still feel yeah. like you can kind of tell how they're acting on stage. Is that they're definitely like you know head banging and Angus is all over the place and. And and you can get the, that feel from like the audience participation as well. You can kind of hear a little bit of it, and uh-huh. I think that's that's something as well too that you know you don't really talk about with live albums is like most of the time you'll 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 on live albums be like oh they're not playing as well as they are but like hey there's this performance you know wow but it's also the the songs like this where they completely change the tempo or or change things up you know for for the longest time i would listen to the um rainy roads tribute album and they'd have that version of flying high again and for me mm-hmm. i'd never heard the um diary for madman version and when i originally listened to it i was like oh my gosh this song is so slow <laughs> right because just changing the tempo with something like this, it, you can really feel that energy of just like the guitar players having a lot of fun. And especially I, yeah. maybe that's just me as a guitar player. You can like hear when the other guitarist is just having a great time. Even if it's not that technical of a song, maybe it's not that fun of a guitar song. You can still have fun on a very simple song. And that comes across here. I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, to me, the pre-chorus is is the highlight of the song for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The fire when she's in the the gang vocals yeah. come in. Oh yeah, 
it just accentuates everything. Um, it's, and it's it's a really perfect break from it's like you're in that the whole time and then whenever it switches up it's just it's it's like the payoff of the song mm-hmm. uh-huh and then and then the chorus just goes right back to that riff right but uh, yeah and also at the same time like you know ethan you mentioned it's kind of like a break from the mundaneness of banana but it doesn't lose any energy yeah. It isn't like they went to halftime or they go to like a down section or anything. Like the whole song, they are just blistering fast. It's real, but like you get the, the those big ringing chords and the the multiple voices coming in. Mm-hmm. I think that it it really that's that's kind of the moment when the song like really like opens up for the first mm-hmm. time, and it feels good because everything's very staccato, very chopped very you know stiff not in a bad way but just you know it's you know you don't have anything ringing mm-hmm. out that riff is played so tightly and then all of a sudden that pre-chorus comes in and everything just opens up really big mm-hmm. and i think that 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 contrast really creates for a great musical moment i would agree also, there is uh, a good amount of shredding on the solo on this song. He really, uh, Angus does go for it. Again, it's not it's not a clean shredding like you would expect from, say, Eddie Van Halen or, um, you know, some of these, some of these other, like John Perchucci or, but, you know, it's still, it's still a pretty, uh, fast blistering guitar solo would you would you yeah. agree with that Graham? yeah or, i mean i'm trying to or, I'm trying to like, think back to uh, but i mean obviously it's like it's still bluesy it's still his bluesy self and he's not doing the um oh he's not doing the slayer thing where he's just trying to do a whole bunch of atonal stuff like there's licks involved but it's also speed but it's very much in a way that, yeah. like, oh, somebody can go home and learn this solo and play it. Now, something I'm going to add in, and the reason why I really became attached to um, the Donington concert was because uh, Rock Band, yes, that that good old rhythm game that has introduced me to so many of my favorite songs. Um actually released a add-on that has the entire Donington soundtrack. Oh, wow. You can play every song on, in that concert. Okay. And so, sometimes one of my favorite things to do is to create a playlist of all the songs in order and then just play through and then in my living room play as if I was Angus, like running around the room and flailing everywhere slowly the night goes on until I'm just in my (laughs) underwear (laughs) I of course do this when my wife is out because she's very embarrassed (laughs) but it's fun and and because of that I've gotten very familiar with a lot of the guitar parts and the guitar solos Mm. And this solo is one of the hardest solos to play in the whole set. 
that's understandable. That's why I was that's why I was kind of putting some emphasis on it because mm-hmm. that's actually a solo where I got to really watch what I'm doing because he does some very fast playing. Yeah, that's true. Notably for him as well, like he's not. We mentioned he's not that that type of shredder usually, but he can shred when the song needs it. Yeah. So um, at this point, this this kind of marks like the culmination of the first half of the mm-hmm. set. Have a have a big fast song, and then at this point, the the set's going to change, and we're going to kind of start moving into some more jam type songs. I'm really excited to talk about those. Right. So let's go ahead and move on. The transition from Fire Your Gun into The Jack was so good. By the way. Mm-hmm. I liked it as well. Um, so The Jack is a very special song for ACDC. This is the song that they have played live more than any other song. In really? Cal- wow. Mm-hmm. So it must be pretty early. Yeah, this it was on their first album. Okay. And this is one of those, like, this is one of those songs that, like, it's a guarantee you have to hear it at every ACDC song. They've played this song almost 2,000 times. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Total in their career. Oh, my Lord. A lot. That's a lot of times. That's a, that's uh-huh. a lot of, that's a lot of blues. A lot of slow blues. Mm-hmm. This song has such a great groove to mm-hmm. it. I gotta figure out um where it's at in the ranking. I, yeah. Um I put this at number twenty-three. Oh. Mm. So it's right above Fire Your Guns, basically. Yeah. This was almost my favorite song in the set list. Ooh. Now, um, this is a song that is dramatically different than the studio version. In fact, I had never heard the studio version until I started to research for this episode. And I was like, wait a minute. No, this isn't the right song. Because the lyrics are 100% different, except for the chorus. That's Ooh. weird. But the music's the same. Not really. Oh, even that is it's it's much more streamlined on the album. Again, this is their first album. They they didn't really have the the reputation to be able to pull off a big long jam because that album is is stuffed. It's almost a greatest hits record. That first album. It's Mm. got. Pop, TNT, Livewire, The Jack, High Voltage. It's just, it's a stacked record. And so, um, you know, obviously they're, they don't have time to put a seven-minute jam on there. So it's a very abbreviated version of the song. But you guys catch what The Jack means? No, I actually didn't. 
means gonorrhea. That's that's an Australian <laughs> slang for hmm. ST. Okay. Um, but the way that they describe it and uh, is in the studio version is that they were not able to sing what you heard on the live version because he is very direct. Uh, you know, she gave me her mind and she gave me her body. I made her cry and I made her scream. I curled her cream. Uh, how was I to know that she had been there before? She told me she was a virgin. Like, it's, it is not at all hiding what it's talking about. No. She was number 99 on the clinical list. And then that big line, which I won't say just because I, I try and keep things fairly family-friendly yeah. here. But I, he says, I had to fall in love with that dirty little B.I.T. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, again, just in 1975, you could have never released that song, especially not as an unknown to make it as a big rock and roll group. Mm-hmm. So what they do, and this is this is actually, it's really genius the way that Bon Scott hides it, is he actually is making this all a metaphor around a card game. That's the, the double meaning of the jack. Hmm. Like he talked about how um, she her cards before, and um, you know how was I to know that she had been all in before? And you know, I, I mean, to where you know what he's talking about, but he he does a really good job of getting around the censors <laughs> and kind of what he's he's you can take it two ways of saying she's got the jack as she's got the winning card. But also the Jack mean, and she's got the disease. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So this is a good crap. So yeah, that's what's wrong, though. But Bon Scott is the one that came up with these alternate lyrics because immediately when they started playing this song live, he changed it to the lyrics that you hear on this version. This was not Bon Scott, or this wasn't Brian Jones, Brian Johnson, not Brian Jones. I'm already, I'm thinking of Rolling Stones already. <laughs> this was not Brian Johnson's version of the song. Like, if you listen to their original live album called If You Want Blood, came out right before Highway to Hell, that version of the Jack um, is the same lyrics as what you hear here. And so that was another reason why he was such a a iconic, dangerous frontman is because he would take a song that everyone knew and then just completely change the words into something so shocking. <laughs> and we're just like, okay, he just said that. He just went there. Okay. Yeah, it's just like, well, I guess that's where we are. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So, um, in any cool stage stuff on this song? No, this is this is a pretty a crowd participation, which obviously 
that you've got that extension where he's got the crowd singing along to it. It's such a great chorus because, again, there could be people there that, again, you, this is in Moscow. He even says, all right, Moscow, sing this one out. Um, he's, I'm sure he's, you know, where probably a lot of them don't speak English. Mm-hmm. It's such a simple chorus to pick up on, though. And they just, and that's what the chorus is. They just say it over and over again. She got the jack. She got the jack. Mm-hmm. She got the jack. And you would probably originally think, dang, can you, could you not think of anything else to say? Mm-hmm. Perfect. For a live set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you can you have someone come in that doesn't even speak English, that's never heard the song. And by the time we get to the crowd participation, they know exactly what to do. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's a good point. It was almost like, it's almost like ahead of time they knew that this was going to be a stadium-friendly song. I don't think they did, but I think it really worked out well that way. And I think it's the reason why this is their most played song. Is that it's this is a the perfect song to get everyone in on. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. This is a very crowd friendly so. song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I will say this, Angus does get to show off a little bit. Well, a little bit. He gets to show off a lot of it on this song. Yeah, he's got he's got two great solos on yep. this song. And this is another example we just talked about Fire Your Guns about how he can use speed when he needs to in still a very bluesy way and he I think this is even a better example of that. Of yeah, being able to get that blistering speed. Fantastic. Do you call that tremolo picking that when he goes into the last part of that second solo? Mm-hmm. When he does that really fast strumming section, mm-hmm. would you would that be tremolo picking? Um, were you like were you just like pick I'm, really, I'm really fast? You, I, I, I uh huh. I mean, because tremolo picking really is just where you're picking super super fast, and it's it's almost where you're not even in a rhythm. You're just trying to pick as fast as you can just for the effect. Which I'm pretty sure that's what he's doing. So then, there. yeah, that that would be tremolo picking, I guess. Okay, I was asking. Guitar terminology is not as yeah. great as it could be because yeah. I'm not a guitar player. Yeah, well, I know just enough to be dangerous. <laughs> okay. Um. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we you, we've got. Two really great solos here. Um, I really like the first solo. It's very melodic. Mm-hmm. I love that opening line of the. Like this is this is just pure blues. It's even the songs mm-hmm. in the twelve bar blues progress. Yep. I mean, it. This is this as classic blues early rock and roll as you can get while still obviously putting the very identifiable ACDC stamp on it. Um, also, one of my favorite parts of this song is the way they go to the 
the trash can, that that cord that they go to is not at all what you would expect. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. Like <laughs> it's just it's just like, oh, oh it's no no and you're just like, oh okay. They're just changing keys and, for the next and <laughs> And then they go to the normal cord right at the end of the trash can. So yeah, this uh, song just grooves so. Is hard. there anything else? That... Do you guys have anything else you wanted to point out, or are you ready to move on? I think it's just, I think it's just straightforward blues. Just the that's because we got all yeah. We've we've already talked a lot about, we'll talk about our next that, and we got more to talk about. Yeah, these next two songs are kind of the big moments of the set. Right. Yeah. We got a we got a fourteen minute song to talk about mm-hmm. next, and this is the one that I put number five spot on the on the list. Wow. Ooh, and that's. So this song is um, also from the Bon Scott era. This was actually unreleased for a long time. Australia only mm-hmm. release. Didn't get to hear it until the mid 80s when they released the Jailbreak 76 EP. Because hmm. that's when they made it. In uh in seventy six or no it was the seventy four EP even though it was not made in seventy four I don't know why they call it the seventy four EP it was recorded in seventy six um I think a couple of the other songs on the EP are from seventy four but Jailbreak is not um so this song was kind of a an un sung gem for a while like this was always one of those songs that like the diehard ACDC fans always said was their favorite mm-hmm. but that the general public and didn't really know about and the band really didn't play that often this was kind of one of those like instances in that tour where they pulled out a good oldie that they kind of brushed off and gave a new coat of paint mm-hmm. to so is the live version way better than the studio Live version's way better. <laughs> oh, it's so... Because obviously it's only a four-minute song on the studio. Mm-hmm. And here we got a 14-minute. Right. So we start off with some guitar... Um, some guitar fan service. Acrobatic. So what he's doing is he's going from side to side of the giant stage. This is a, the stage that they're on is, has two really large wings on both sides as well as giant ramps that go up to this balcony section on both sides. Mm -hmm. So of course he's getting some great um, mileage out of that. And so what he's doing is he's going from side to side and he'll play something and he'll like put his hand up in the air and kind of look menacingly at the crowd and until they scream. Yeah. <laughs> and so he, bah, 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 and then he puts his hand in the air and he waits for the hey! 
And so he does that, does the thing where he keeps doing it faster, faster. And then when he starts going crazy, that's actually him sprinting from one side of the stage to the other while he's shredding. (laughs) That's pretty funny. He's running. He's running as fast as he can to get to the other side of the stage. And then he does. And then he does the same thing again. (laughs) That's funny. And it's really, it's really hilarious to see. Um, this comes at j- pretty much the halfway point of the set mm-hmm. in the Donnie show. And this song is the point where he sheds his um, schoolboy outfit and goes to just the, the tight trousers. Mm-hmm. Um, that long extended breakdown in the middle is actually longer on the actual concert because he stops playing guitar and it just goes to bass and drums. And he does this like five minute strip tease. <laughs> oh my gosh. Where he's pretending to be like this, this sexy young schoolgirl, but of course it's Angus. And that's kind of part of the, the hilarity of it is that he's like trying to be seductive, but he's so weird looking and so sweaty and making like the weirdest faces and like he like slowly takes his shirt off he like he like shirt up to show his nipples like he's flashing um he like takes his shirt off and like rubs it between his thighs <laughs> uh big, the big moment is he's acting like he's about to take his pants off and um he like gets ready and the the drums build up and it's and then it just stops pulls down his pants and you think he's gonna moon everyone but instead it's a union jack underwear (laughs) (laughs) and it's a pretty hilarious moment and so really where that comes in is there's if you remember there's three guitar solos that play in the middle section the long extended middle section Mm mm-hmm so it comes that comes between solos two and three, hmm. and so obviously when you're just listening to it, they edit it out because then it's just five minutes of just boom, yeah, boom, <laughs> boom, and that's not going to be fun for listening to. Mm-hmm. But visually, it's pretty awesome to watch, and so it really adds this extra sense of tension when he comes in. Cause that third solo was the big solo where he just really rips it. So let's talk about the tension that builds throughout the song. Cause I love what this song does. I think that's yeah. the brilliant song. So you've got about three minutes of guitar introduction then you come in with that riff, which has quickly become one of my all-time favorite ACDC riffs. When Malcolm starts playing that main riff, it sends me into my caveman mode. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, does that. that do it for you guys, too? Or is it's it just good, me? It's a freaking good riff. It's so powerful. Bow, 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 bow. Ones you just bang to. 
The story of the lyrics is obviously a man that's trying to make a jailbreak. Someone that is guilty. He's not saying I'm trying to get out because I was wrongfully accused or I was framed or he is someone that deserves to be there. He just doesn't want to be there. <laughs> and again, I think that that shows kind of, I think it shows how great and what the allure of Bon Scott's lyrics were is he was always unapologetically um, rough. Yeah. He wasn't, you know, he's he's writing about himself. He's he's not creating a character you're supposed to sympathize with. You know, oh, I understand why he's trying to make a jailbreak because, you know, it's not like a Shawshank. It's a scummy guy that's just like, I'm, I'm too bad for prison. I'm going to get out so I can go cause some more um, mayhem and mischief. Mm -hmm. and he gets his due sentence at the end um so yeah you get the you you have that great chorus and also the pre-chorus is awesome too the all in the name of liberty Mm -hmm. Um, and then you got that you've got that first solo and then it goes into that extended uh down section and the way that Malcolm comes in and out with that bow da da is very menacing. Yeah, it's awesome. And yeah, you've got the first solo that comes in. You're just like, okay, that was awesome. Then the the second solo comes in and you feel some more tension, especially when it goes right back to silence. You kind of start to wonder, like, okay, what's what are the, what is this building up towards? <laughs> It's it starts to feel like like uh, the song's gonna kind of do something to you. Yeah, it just is. Yeah, silence is is very powerful. Yeah, because the first time you do it, you're just kind of like, okay, that was pretty cool. The second time it does it, you're just kind of like, they're they're trying they're they're taking us to something. Mm-hmm. And especially when you're when you're watching it, and you and then it goes into this long striptease section. It's it's just again it's continuing to build the tension, and then when the third solo starts, you can tell that the intensity has just increased. He's playing with a lot more fury, a lot more aggression. Yeah. It builds so much better, and then I think it's even again more unsettling because you think that that's going to be the solo where it all bursts mm-hmm. open, and then it goes yeah. back to silence again. <laughs> And you're just like, oh god, when is it gonna release? And it's chilling when Brian Johnson finally comes in, and um, it comes in with that that last little line, and he's about it. This is the point in the story where he's actually trying to make a run for it, and he starts calling out the things, the spotlight, the sirens, and the guitars are mimicking those sound effects like when he says spotlight you almost hear like an alarm blaring the the um the sirens and he makes the the sound like a a cop siren would and then 
the ultimate moment when it stops and he's saying, but he made it out, pause, with a bullet in his back. And then it finally jumps right back in. It's brilliant. It's brilliant tension release. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's so good. I, I I can't get over how good it so is. So is this your favorite song in the set? It's really close, but there's there's still yeah. one more. <laughs> Me too. I think I think my mind has changed to where I think Jailbreak is my favorite song in the set. You convinced me. With the it's the one scene. my brain knows that it's the best song of the set. Just because of, of just how well they do that tension and release. Um, but there's just one that just that resonates with me even more. And that's gonna be the final song. Let's of get into that. it. High voltage rock and roll, baby. I have a specific memory of Lucas showing me this song on a car trip. You know, I have a specific memory of Lucas showing me this song, but it wasn't on a car trip. But it was, it was in your in garage. My garage. Yeah, I feel like you really, really, really like this song. I do, especially the live version. This. Yep, especially the yes. live version. I know mm-hmm. that Harry likes this song too. Yes, this is his favorite. Where ACDC is this song. on the rankings? Eleven. Okay. Respectable. Again, I, I try and divorce my personal feelings of it and just look at it objectively. But I mean, yeah, it's this is my favorite song. song. So. Like, yes, I think that I agree with so, you. It's, it's my favorite song in the set as well. <laughs> <laughs> Why was that an evil laugh? What? Because. <laughs> um, I feel like if you're listening to this set after Jailbreak, you're probably thinking, well, that has to be the final song. If you're, Especially if you're not paying attention, you might have thought that that could have been the sixth right. song. And it does feel like when you, once you get the high voltage, it feels like the culmination of everything. Because it has it has everything that we've heard so far, especially in this back half of the set where um, you have, you have the Jack that centers around audience participation and jailbreak that centers around guitar craziness. Mm-hmm. High voltage does both of those things. Yeah. yeah. And so it felt like that this was a good thing to do at the very end to have something that was epic, but still was maybe a bit more, um, a bit more streamlined. Something that um, was kind of had a bit more of a, uh, just like a finality to it, kind of just like a, a big rousing chorus at the end. Yeah. Um. So, this song. I mean, the the centerpiece is Angus. Right. Uh, He pulls out all the stops. So this is right before... This actually comes right before um, You Shook Me 
in the normal set. Hmm. That makes sense, though. I mean, this this song does kind of harken back to the first two songs of the set and the fact that it's mid-tempo and it's just, for for lack of a better term, it's just, it's normal ACDC. It's what you would expect, right? Mm-hmm. But it also, you're right, it kind of is sort of a lot of crowd participation, number one, and then also just a lot of shreddiness because we do have a little jam section here as well. Yep. Um, I love the main riff of this song. It's got a very old school rock and roll Ooh, yeah. touch to it. Like that's that's like pulled from 50s rock and roll right there. Oh, but yeah. of course hear it it's it's so acdc yeah <laughs> it's the acdc formula like it, just get a good guitar i know it just know works man they can they just they just know how to do it so mm-hmm. um it's like it's the guitar it's the tone yeah you've got that in pretty much yeah and just the there's just the way it sounds mm-hmm. when it's being played um, so the song is pretty much just about rock and roll. You know, he's there. He's, he keeps saying, you asked me why I, uh, why I like to dance, why I like to sing. Why do I like to do one night stands? Mm-hmm. Why you ask me why I grow my hair? He's pretty much just saying, you want to know why I am the way I am? It's because I love rock and roll and not just high rock and roll or not just rock and roll, high voltage rock and roll. Yeah. And so it's just, it's the ultimate anthem for rock and roll. Um, And it, it CDC does best. They're a rock and roll band. Yeah, you kind of really can't put any other. It's it's one. It's part of their timelessness. They are rock and roll. So I have a question, and I think that. Go ahead. What what is happening in the middle of this song? There's there's a very long. Before the guitar solo. And like between the chanting and the guitar uh-huh. solo, is there something happening on stage? So, th- yeah, there's um, it's Angus kind of goading the crowd. Ah, uh, he's the remember how I said that there are on both sides of the stage there were ramps that lead up to the balcony. Yeah, he's very slowly scaling one of the sides of that those ramps. Occasionally stopping to play a little riff, lick, and then he keeps walking up, and he just he just has this like this this nasty look on his face as he's doing it, just kind of like going, you know what's about to happen? Yeah, I'm I'm walking up here, and once I do, I'm about to throw some crap down. <laughs> yeah, and so he makes the he, once he gets all the way up, that's when he begins to shred. That's awesome. Um, and that big final crazy part is actually him playing with his tongue. <laughs> when it's been that when he's 
when it just it's that crazy tapping section. Mm-hmm. He's putting the guitar up to his mouth and licking the strings as he's fretting with his hand. <laughs> Man. And then second chant part is him like frantically running back down to get to the center of the stage. <laughs> Man, I would expect but nothing this, less. Uh, so remember how we said that um, uh, it's amazing how uh, solid the rest of the yeah, band mm-hmm. is? This is yeah. an instance mm-hmm. where the whole time Malcolm just like holding crap down and cliff like they're both playing even even when it the guitar disappears if you listen closely the bass is still playing during the gimme hi hi um the bass is still playing underneath it going um, and I mean, he's constant. Like he's not playing syncopated. He's playing just straight eighth notes, nonstop, the whole time, and playing it so reserved and so muted. It's pretty it incredible. Is. Now, one of my favorite memories of this song was. Like I said, I had this on Rock Band. This was my favorite song to play of the set. And it gets to the to the the Gimme High. And my son Harry was still fairly little at this point. He was probably maybe one and a half. Mm. And he said <laughs> he says on the TV, Gimme high and I just hear him back to the TV go, Hi <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Like hi, <laughs> and then um, as he got older, he became obsessed with this song. Um, always asks for me to play it, and gets out his guitar and learned a lot of Angus's moves. And I have some videos of him just completely rocking out to this song to the That's so video. Awesome. You know the concert video, and hmm. um, it's it's pretty awesome. This was my number one listened to song of 2018. Wow, I mean that's understandable though. At least it wasn't like Brandy, "You're a Fine Girl" or something like that. You know, gosh, imagine if it was <laughs> that. <laughs> That's still so funny. I didn't expect that to be my most listened song. But I think I think one of the things that we don't talk a lot about about ACDC just in general is um Brian Johnson's range. And yeah, he showcases he, it on he this song. Yeah. Again, I think the fact that we talked about this in the last episode about his singing style. I don't think he's adding mm-hmm. gravel to his voice because to be able to, because like I said, this is kind of starting to get towards the end of the show. 
for him to still have that range that late in the show, I think shows that, um, you know, he's not using a technique to add gruffness mm-hmm. to his voice. That it's that's just his voice, right? And because of that, he's not damaging it when he's singing like that. Is mm-hmm. if. I, any of us tried to sing that long, <laughs> by the time we would get to high voltage in the set, we'd yeah. be like, give me that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, our, our voices would be slaughtered. Yep. Shredded. Slaughtered. It's just his voice. So, yeah. But, the, yeah. One thing I respect about this song is that I feel like it's and I think just ACDC as a whole, it's like they're not like a gimmicky band. Like, because every time no. I've been trying to like talk about the song, it's just like, I mean, this is the only song where it's like, oh, there's chanting. Like, there's something a little bit outside of the formula, you know? And it adds mm-hmm. so much, but everything else is just like, have an awesome guitar line and just good sections and then just like let your guitar player be a guitar player and then get back to the song and and it's just like the end and it's a great song i mean yeah that's that's kind of what it was like on jailbreak i mean jailbreak kind of reminds me of of working man and the fact that it's like it's good we got good hooks we got interesting lyrics with the story behind it but the vast majority of that song is just the lead guitar player having a blast, you know, over the course of like eight guitar solos. Right. And, and I think that you're right. It's like at the end of the day is just having fun. It's just a meat potato guitar player. (laughs) It's just, you don't need a lot to like, to like ACDC does what they do really well and they don't have to like it's like going and just getting a good steak at a restaurant it's just like how do you make a good steak it's just like well you just you just do get, get good meat and then you just cook it well cook it yeah exactly it's like you know that's a very <laughs> good like... way of putting it that's that's a very good way of putting it, it. It, it, ACDC it really does to... sound like steak tastes <laughs> That's so, but, that's so good <laughs> but yeah okay but but yeah no, it's, it's just like what do you want i want steak and potatoes and it's like here you go and it's like this steak and potatoes is good right and that's <laughs> that I, I, like high is voltage is just like it's just like all of these songs it's like what do you guys think about the musical it's like well it's a great sounding guitar line with a great chorus and really great right. vocals and a great guitar solo. What about this song? Well, it's a great guitar line with a great chorus with really good vocals and an amazing guitar solo. <laughs> and every right. song and is just that. At yeah. the end of the day, that's kind of what you have to, to do with a band like ACDC is just realize, yeah, that's what it is. But, but um, the impressive thing is that I, I'm not tired of it. No, no, and that's that's the other thing too. It's like you're right; it isn't a gimmicky thing. And you did mention the the chanting. That's not unique to high voltage. They do that in Dirty Deeds, right? Yeah, yeah. Or or um, TNT with the oys. Yeah. 
Uh, it's true. That's true. But it's like also they don't do that in every song, you know. But when they do it, yeah, uh, it's say that that's a staple ACDC thing to do, right? But but when they do it, it's like, oh, this is one of the songs where you know the crowd gets to participate, and so I think that's like, it's a good mix of it's a good balance of that, right? Where you want to leave them wanting more, I guess. I'm kind of looking at this as a, as a business perspective, and I shouldn't really be. But, you know, you, you, you mm-hmm. kind of leave them wanting more of the audience participation aspect. And so sort of like starving the audience of like being able to have like their part. So then when they have it, it's like it feels very important. Like, like, uh, like the creeping death, you know, um, yeah, bridge, this bridge die. when everybody's chanting die it's yeah. like that's a moment that like yeah everybody's screaming die but also it's like that's a moment where the audience feels like they can be part of like the full energy and acdc is really good at taking advantage of that and i think that that this especially this last you know half of the set at least showcased that a lot which is important for a live mm-hmm volume two is to show yeah you know they're great performing live but also how do things change live and i think that we successfully have shown that good at set. least the set does yes this is a good set this is a good set yeah it's just this is it's a set that again yeah you don't really have to think as much about you just kind of can just be in the moment and just enjoy it Right. Yeah. It's it just it just you just let it take you where you want it to take you. Um, I was trying to think. There's there's something else I wanted to add. I'm trying to this now. Um. Well, I can't remember it. So I guess that if I remember it, I'll save it for the final <laughs> there we all right, we'll go ahead and take another break here. When we come back, we're going to get our final thoughts about AC, DC, and them as a live band. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Ethan. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just got done with our second segment, which is our Spotify playlist of the week. Uh, Link for that is in the description of the episode. But the songs that we talked about were You Shook Me All Night Long, Hell Ain't a Bad Place to Be, Fire Your Guns, The Jack, Jailbreak, and High Voltage. And now we are in our final thoughts. So, Grant, as a... as Someone that was already a big ACDC fan. Uh, How has this episode changed your thoughts on the band? I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'm like a big ACDC fan. I've never really been a big ACDC fan, and I guess that's that's the thing is like ACDC is one of those bands where it's really hard to explain because I like a lot of their songs but I don't really like them as a band, as a whole. I'm not willing to, like, take the next step into their music, really. And I think that this 
this episode kind of, you know, changed my mind on that. Um, as far as like, oh, there's different types of ACDC music now, because obviously, you know, I'm familiar with all the big hits and all the ones that, you know, we would cover in, in the, in the band, but there's just a whole plethora of different type of ACDC songs. And I think also talking about like the difference between their live um, songs and their studio songs is an important distinction because I'm almost more willing to go listen to like an entire live record now. Whereas usually when we're done, you know, with like a volume two, I remember after our Iron Maiden volume two, we listened to, or we talked about their live music and I needed to immediately after we talked about it, go listen to you know, <laughs> number of the beast through seventh son of the seventh son, which I did um, like all five albums. Um, but I didn't, I didn't ever go back to revisit anything live. And I think that that would, this would be a different case that I'm more willing to go listen to some live ACDC because I love the jamminess that you don't really experience as much on, at least on the, the studio songs that I've heard. And so that whole other area of ACDC that I've never experienced, I really, really like because it's just, I think that they shine so well when songs are structured like that, which I wouldn't have expected. So I think that my big takeaway is it's interesting to see another side of a band that you have listened to and talked about for years and years and years and just not even know was there. And I'm very happy that I discovered it through this episode and through this set. Hmm. Yeah, I think for for me, I, I guess, and maybe not to the this extent, but I'm starting to look at ACDC a little bit like Queen in that I don't think it's fair to Queen to only look at their... Um, on album stuff and to never look at them as a live band. And I would even say uh, not to take away from any of ACDC studio stuff, but I agree with you, Grant, that I think ACDC just has so much showmanship just naturally in the band that um, I think that their live performances and even in the way that they're mixed, like there's just an extra like there's like an extra plus one in all their live performances just because they just bring they just bring so much energy to the show that you don't necessarily get from the studio stuff um again not to take away because anytime that you just want that slow groove rock march kind of you know thing mm-hmm. ACDC will be there for you whether it's live or album you know yeah Yeah. but in terms of energy and musicality like their live stuff is great and i'm not a foreigner to their live stuff like they have youtube concerts that i've shown people where it's just like there's a frick ton of people 
at these mm-hmm. ACDC concerts. <laughs> yeah, that's for and sure. And I'm just watching it. I'm just like, this is in insanity how many people are there. But their ability to tame that massive of a crowd is impressive in and of itself. So I'm glad that I got kind of another round at ACDC. And I think it just kind of cements them as rock legends. And uh, I I didn't really... I guess I never really knew how much different their live set list was from some of their studio songs. And I'm excited in our after hours to listen to, um, I guess the original singer that I have, that I didn't even know existed before now. And so, yeah, I think my final thoughts are just where ACDC it's easy to just kind of like throw ACDC to the side a little bit because it's like, well, of course, ACDC is a good band. Like, you know, we're, of course, they're the staple rock band. Like, we can kind of put them over to the side because we all know what they sound like, right? Black and Black. But until you actually go and listen to this set, you realize that, you know, they're the kings for a reason. Like, if if their top third of songs are as good as Hell Ain't a bad place to be then you know you're in a pretty good spot mm-hmm. yeah um so for me i have uh i've been slowly moving towards the um the mega fan area of, of acdc uh i would because i've always been an acdc fan um Back in Black was really one of the first ever rock songs that I ever liked. I remember hearing that riff for the first time just going, "Wow, what an incredible riff." And they've always just been a band that I've heard on the radio and have always liked. But I kind of agree with you Ethan on kind of how they can sometimes get a bad rap, especially like they can, you can say, especially as you become more elitist in your song uh, mm-hmm. and music taste that you can be like, Oh, they're, they're too normie. Their, their guitar parts and their drum parts are so simple. You know, they don't write anything interesting or experimental mm-hmm. or complex. And it's kind of easy to kind of think of those just like people that are like casual rock fans. That's who ACDC is for, not for us people that listen yeah. to Metallica and Dream Theater and, you know, all these sophisticated <laughs> bands. Yeah. But whenever I got that track pack on Rock Band and started playing through those songs, that's when I really started to be like, okay. I really love playing these songs. There's just, there's something about it. That's just like, you can't even like quantify what's happening. It's this, there's this magical element that's kind of coming forth in their live music. There's so much energy. There's so much, it's just like rock has been like put into audio form in its purest sense Mm. like it's been distilled and all of the unnecessary things have been filtered away and this is rock at its most unadulterated and most uh volatile 
Yep. And I can't help but have the spirit of rock like take over me and I just like can become exactly like Angus and just go crazy and tap into that subconscious part of myself. And once I kind of made that discovery, I've just been moving more and more towards, you know, becoming a legitimate hardcore ACDC fan to where I start to go, you know what? If I had to choose between being in a dream theater style band and an ACDC style band, I think I might be starting to lean towards wow. the ACDC style band. Because it's just the thought of playing just pure, simple, powerful rock and roll because of ACDC has become so um, appealing to me. Hmm. And um, there's just something, there's just a power right. to it. Power that you really can't explain. It's just there. If you try and explain it, you'll never do it justice. I think that nowhere does that come out better than in their live music. I think that that's the number one thing that changes from studio to stage is the power. The power of the guitars, the power of the drums. Um, it just, it all soaks into this, um, this alchemical mixture of just pure rock and roll. And um, I was very excited to kind of share this discovery of their live music, but not just you guys, but all of our listeners. And um, I'm, I have been wanting to do this episode for a while. I'm finally glad that I got to do it. And I think that this is a great way to start oh, the new year. Yeah. Oh, baby. So thank you, everyone, that has uh, listened to this episode. If you um, want to listen to these songs, there is a link in the description of the episode. It takes you to Spotify playlist. Please go listen to these songs. Goodness gracious, it would be really sad if you made it all the way here and, and you assumed, oh, I've heard those songs before. And you're just thinking of the studio mm -hmm. versions. Please go listen to the specific live versions that we've picked out. You will not regret it. And uh, also in the link uh, of the episode is uh, takes you to our Patreon page where we've got all kinds of early and exclusive content. We're going to continue to come up with more content as the year goes on. So... Um, if you want to support us, that is the best place to do so. And uh, make sure you hit us up on Facebook and Instagram. That's going to be the best way to let us know what you think of the podcast, as well as what artists you want us to do episodes on next. This is the year that we're going to really start to take fan requests into uh, really deep consideration. Like I said, um, Tina's uh, recommendation for us we're going to be doing this next month so um, you know 
this is the best time to start sending us requests because we're going to really be taking them and doing episodes on them. So, uh, and then also make sure that you hit subscribe because we have new episodes every single week. I already spoiled who we're going to be talking about next week. It's going to be Bruce Springsteen. So uh, make sure that you tune in for that. And then um, we're about to do our after-hour segments for our patrons. So if you really want to hear us talk about the worst ACDC songs and have a merry old time with us, because this (laughs) tends to be a really fun segment, then make sure you head on over to Patreon and become a patron because it's really a lot of fun. But for everyone else, until next time, I'm I'm Grant. And I'm Ethan. Keep on listening to good music.